Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, women's empowerment coach and motivational speaker, Megan Hall. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories. And we're going to chat about topics relevant to women today. I'd love to continue to support you on your life's journey. Please join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. Thank you for tuning in today and enjoy the show. Hey guys, today I am here with Wynn Charles. Wynn is a motivational speaker. She's a journalist, jewelry designer, and the author of I Win, My journal, Journey with Cerebral Palsy in a Non-Disabled World. That is a heck of a introduction, Wynn. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to grow up with cerebral palsy in a non-disabled world? Like, I don't know what that's like. So. In a non-disabled world. Okay. Let's start. Um, let's backtrack here. Okay. I wrote that book when I was 23 years old. I wrote that book as a form of grief therapy because uh, in 2010, I lost my mom to my woman, she actually went into the hospital with a brain aneurysm, got my woman got put in mentally induced coma and all that good jazz. And so the hospital never quite figured out what was wrong with her. They, um, they, of course, said, well, we can cure the viral mandriotis and all this good stuff. So I wrote that book. But first, it, while she was in medically in diploma, I asked her, I said, can I write a book about my life with a palsy pain tribute to you, obviously, and my dad, who I still live with? And she goes, yes, as long as you do it gracefully meaning don't spill too too many family so it's secrets so i i thought okay so i gave myself a year to produce that book and lo and be unbeknownst to me uh, because it hit number one the moment it came out number one on amazon and it has been a whirlwind ever since I am now pursuing a journalism degree at the Academy of Arts um, in San Francisco online. I'll be finished with that in 2019. So I'll be a full official fashion journalist in 2019. My original degree was in early childhood education. My original a uh, group leader certificate degree, associate's degree was in early childhood education. So this is my second associate's degree. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So what made yeah. you, did you say fashion journalism? Yes. Yes. Fashion journalism. I have always been a fashionista all my life. I love Louis Vuitton, I love Christian Dior, I love everything about it, but I, so that's why I decided, why not combine my two loves for um, my Indian fashion to learn the ins and outs of the industry. 
Yeah, that sounds amazing. I wish I had fashion sense. I think I do, but you know, probably not as good as you do. So you are, you wrote this book to work through your grief uh, with, you lost your mom, am I correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, your grief from, of losing your mom and you're pursuing this degree of journalism for fashion. Like how, how did that even happen? How did you go from writing this book to deal with your grief to... I want to get into fashion. I want to, I want to do a journal. I want to journal all about fashion. Cause I, I just, wow, that's amazing. Well, okay. Let's backtrack here. Okay. I did the Kona Ironman as well. I'm a Kona Ironman triathlete. And for those of you that don't know what the Kona Ironman is, it's a normal triathlon swim, bike and run. How I did it is someone physically ran with me in a wheelchair. I was the one in the wheelchair. And then um, someone hooked me up to the back of a bike and then pulled me in the boat for the open water swim. And at that time, I'm like, okay, why am I doing this on the outside? I want to be standing on the outside interviewing all these uh, triathletes coming out of the swim and crossing the finish line in the corner. This is, this is the coolest thing ever. I was on the inside doing it. Now I'm not doing it anymore. But this is the coolest thing ever. So I held that secret. I did the Kona Ironman in October of 2008. 10, no, 2011, I'm sorry. And then um, I held that secret up until March of last year when I was trying to pursue a different degree and landed up getting kicked out of college. I, at that time, I was having a bad back due to my cerebral palsy, and um, it didn't work out. My bad back almost had to get redone again. And um, and so I wasn't keeping my grade point average up. And so they kicked me out of college. I'm like, okay, now this is the time to let go of your little secret and get into fashion journalism. I love that. I, I'm so glad you did do that. I'm so glad that you let go of that secret because it sounds like it's something that you're very passionate about. And yeah. I truly believe that when you're passionate about something, you can do way more with it than something that you're not yes. passionate about. Yes. So tell yes. me, what inspired you to do the Kona Ironman? Because I, the most I've ever done is a Spartan race, and that was just awful. Uh, so. my, my teammate, my teammate, it wasn't my idea. I was sitting in my office and I still have that office today and my teammate calls me who happens to be a family member living in Nassau, Bahamas and she goes, I have a surprise for you. I have a surprise for you. Didn't let the cat out of the bag for about a month and she goes, do you want to do the uh, triathlons with me? and make a team effort out of it. And I'm like, you're nuts, you're nuts. I literally said, you're nuts. I can't, I can barely walk. 
I can't do triathlons, and she goes, oh, yes, you can, and let's do it. Unfortunately, we didn't get to finish the Kona Ironman because due to the way she had me hooked up on a bike, I could not pedal. I have use of my legs. I have, um, even though I have cerebral palsy and a walk with walk, I still have use of my legs. But due to the um, Kona Ironman rules, I could not pedal. So oh, she no. helped me. Yeah, oh no, it's right. So she helped me up to the back of her bike in the contraption that just was awful. That just was awful. And I still think to this day, if I was able to pedal the bike and help her out with her body weight, we would have finished the Kona Ironman. I mean, that's just amazing that you participated because I guarantee there's probably not anybody listening to this podcast when it comes out that can say they've ever done that in their lives. That's an amazing accomplishment for you to do that. So I definitely don't want you to undermine that accomplishment. It's absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm just flabbergasted here. Um, so some of the people listening to this episode may not be familiar with cerebral palsy. You said you have um, you're able to use your legs, but can you tell us a little bit about what life is like? Like, what is it sure. like with cerebral palsy? Cerebral palsy is a lack of oxygen injury at birth, or it could be developed in the womb. I think I developed in the womb and then got brain bleed on top of it. So cerebral palsy is a lack of oxygen at birth, you can, um, it can affect a child up to the age of two. I have a friend that was born completely able-bodied, choked on a piece of popcorn at nine months, and then got acquired cerebral palsy. Wow. I didn't know that you could acquire it after birth. Yep. You can acquire it after birth. It can affect kids up to age two. Okay. So what, if somebody has cerebral palsy, what might they experience? They will, um, well, one, each case of cerebral palsy is different. I experienced what I, I, as we're doing this interview, I'm experiencing right now muscle spasms, which are, I experienced those a thousand a thousand times a day. Most of them I don't feel. I don't feel as if I'm experiencing muscle spasms. Sometimes I do. Okay. So how has this affected you living your life to the fullest? Well, because of my cerebral palsy, I cannot have a full-time job for obvious reasons, well, I could, but my employer insurance would go through the roof because of my pre-existing condition. So that has affected my life tremendously, and that's why I am pursuing my degree in 
journalism because I don't want a full-time job. <laughs> and it makes sense. A full-time, a full-time job would just be too much for me. Yeah. Um, my mom not does not have um, cerebral palsy, but she's also disabled. And so she's not able to work full-time as well. Um, she has what's called moe moe. All the arteries in the back of her neck have collapsed. So she's not able to my get mom. enough oxygen to her brain either. Um, and so she's on a disability. And I know when it comes to disability, you actually legally can only work so much because otherwise yeah. you have your disability. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I am on Medicaid too. And yeah, so I can only legally work so much. So that's why one of, and people don't know this up until today. That's why one of the reasons why I'm stepping away from the education system so I can still keep my Medicaid and work, uh, work a certain amount of hours on my books. Yeah. And I can imagine also it would be, you don't know what it's going to, what kind of effects there will be if you're working full time, right? You wouldn't know if no, you could no, do I it. Wouldn't, I wouldn't know my body. Um, I wouldn't know, um, I wouldn't know what effects it would have on me and probably severe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you wrote this book. Um, my journal was cerebral palsy in a non-disabled world. So what does that, what does that mean? Like explain that to me. Meaning I'm living in a non-disabled world and I have cerebral palsy. Meaning I can't, I can't get into places. Places don't have handicapped accessible doors. I mean, my gym doesn't have a handicapped accessible door. I go to a able body gym. And so that's what I mean. I am facing these challenges in a normal world. Yeah. And these are challenges that most able-bodied people wouldn't even realize that are there for you. Yeah. Realize. No. So what are, what are some uh, things that you experienced growing up? Well, I was very lucky, and I'm still very lucky, that I have never been bullied in my life. A lot of the disabled population gets bullied, and I have never been bullied in my life. I was very lucky. I was raised going to a private school, and that's where I have my job, actually, at that private school school where I was a student now so and kids get a kick out of it that I was a student there and now I'm a teacher there and so I was never bullied but I've had over a thousand surgeries on my body I've taken time off school to recover I've that's why I went back to college later in life because I took a gap year to um, recover from a spinal fusion that went horribly wrong. Wow. And um, during my birth, at, during receiving the diagnosis of cerebral palsy, my mother's OBGYN had cancer at the time, and this was in 87, and he said to her, um, he said to her, you have Braxton Hicks, 
you don't need to go to the hospital. Luckily, her girlfriend saved my life, which many years later I was able to thank that girlfriend, and she knew exactly what I was talking about. And um, so I've been fighting with cerebral palsy since day one, slash fighting with doctors since day one, because um, leave me alone for two seconds, leave me longer in the room than they did, um, it could have been a disaster. It would have been a disaster. Yeah, I can imagine so. So how many surgeries have you had to have in your lifetime? Over 100. Over 100. Wow. Wow. And you said a spinal fusion. What other surgeries? Could you name a few other surgeries that you've had? I have had my hips done. I've had my knees done. I've had my feet done. I've had my nose done. I've had my uh, everything under the sun done. I've had my, basically my lower body has all been surgically rectified. Now, does that help you be able to walk better? Yes, but since the spinal fusion day, I use a walker. Yeah, I see that. I can actually see your picture as I'm talking to you right now, yeah. and it shows you in a yeah. walker. And that was, yeah. And so um, I use a walker because um, during that spinal fusion, they literally tried to kill me. Oh they my gosh. literally tried to kill me. They let my spine go dead, and I'm the youngest person to survive propofol infusion syndrome, which is what Michael Jackson died of. Wow. I, how, how the heck could that happen? How the heck could they let my spine go dead, or how the <laughs> heck could um, I get propofol infusion syndrome and survive? How the heck could they let your spine go dead? Because that's that's what caused it all, right? I, um, the getting a allergic reaction to the anesthesia, okay. which means my blood turns acidic, and then on top of it, they let my spine go dead. <laughs> I, it just baffles me sometimes that our- they, they had um they had electrodes hooked up to my spine, and they still won't admit to me how they let my spine go dead. I mean, it just baffles me that, you know, such things can happen in our medical community because you have, it's not just like one doctor doing this. You have a whole team of doctors yeah, that didn't yeah, do what they were supposed yeah, to. Exactly. Exactly. No. And they, um, they um, didn't tell me I had nerve damage. I quickly discovered that one at Christmas time, walking down instead of stand on the, on the East Coast walking down a set of marble stairs on the East Coast at my grandmother's house. Wow. What happened? How did you discover that? You just couldn't have, you didn't have any feeling? I just, um, my leg wasn't bending. (laughs) Wow. My leg wasn't bending, and that was a good one when I discovered that one. I'm like, okay, yeah. This was a month. After, yeah, a month after the surgery. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, something's not right here. Why is this yeah. not working? Yeah, yeah. So it- and I had no no feeling in my leg 
the nerves have now come back. Oh, that's good. But it's taken PT after PT to figure that one out. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a lot of supportive people in your life. Can you tell us a little bit about your support team? I am lucky. I am lucky enough to have a huge support team. And the um, funny thing is, is every time I publish a book, it hits number one because wow. people are nuts and they want to learn so much about cerebral palsy. I don't know what I'm doing. So basically I have a huge support team and I also have a podcast too. Do you? What's the name of it? Butterflies of Wisdom, which comes out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And people can find that in iTunes. They can find that in um, all where all other podcasts are in. And they can also now find it in Spotify. Yay! That's Spotify awesome. Now. So um, people could find that in Spotify and every um which way wow i will definitely link that up in the show notes inspiredwomenpodcast.com so we know people are obviously listening to podcasts if they're listening to this yeah yes <laughs> so they can head and on over and listen to yours too butterflies of wisdom by the way and i uh, i bring on solo entrepreneurs and with a twist on disability that so you interview solo entrepreneurs who have disabilities yeah. I interview, no, I interview able, able bodies. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So how many people do you know? Do you have a group of friends who also have disabilities? Um, yes, but because I'm more of a disabled advocate, I tend to not do the disabled pity party thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I beat my own drum. People know that by now. And so I tend to just create my own content. People who are disabled follow me, though. But um, I tend not to um, get into the disabled crowd because that can, um, that can, bring me down as a solo entrepreneur yeah no i can imagine i always liken it to either you have a survivor mentality or you have a victim mentality and it sounds yeah. like you have a survivor yeah. mentality yeah yeah <laughs> it can be hard when other people have a victim mentality because it kind of sucks your soul out yeah. right it's super yeah. negative and it brings exactly. you into a bad place um, exactly so I'm glad to hear. And now tell us, how did you develop that survivor mentality and not go into victim mode? Well, thank you very much to um, my paternal grandmother. My paternal grandmother was actually named Pauline Winifred, and then she changed it to Win, W-I-N. So my mom decided to name me um, after her mom, which... Her, we only lost her mom in um, a couple of years ago. So I've been, I have been the unfortunate one to lose um, the two champions in my life that um, really supported me. And then, 
yeah. And grandma lives to 90. Mom, wow. um, mom actually died younger than grandma. And mom actually died when she was 58 because of the meningitis. And, uh, yeah. So how did you overcome that grief? Those are two people closest to you that you lost. I, I over, I wrote, I win in the state of shock. And then by the time my grandmother died, I was, um, I wanted to become a fashion journalist. And so I said to myself, now or never. And so I am slowly but surely overcoming that grief. Okay, so it's still a process. You're still healing. And and from I did a just did a podcast with somebody who lost her brother and also lost a baby. And she said, you know what? Uh, we never fully heal from grief. She's like, we'll always yes. feel it, but we can. I, I definitely forward. agree. I definitely agree. You can. You never completely heal from grief. The pain of losing my mom on is with me on a daily basis. But we can move forward and this is how I'm moving forward by sharing my story with the world and by sharing my story through my book. So books, plural, are you writing another book right now? Yes. Oh yeah. I have eight books underneath my name actually. Nine. And nine books and I'm working on two right now. One is coming out at Thanksgiving. Well by the time people can Hear this, it will be published. And I am working on my fourth and final autobiography right now. And I plan to finish out 2017 with writing 13 books, including a book for National Novel Writing Month. And then I plan to do 20 books in 2018. That's amazing. So tell us a little bit about the book that comes out. It's, it, I mean, by the time everybody hears it, you're right. That it will already be out. So tell us a little bit about it so people can go grab it. Well, um, the book is called The View from My Fabulous Teaching Desk. And it's a fictional novel about um, a preschool teacher. Basically, what I was for 11 years. Wow. So what was that like to teach preschool? Like I have uh, two six-year-olds, an eight-year-old, and a 14-year-old, and I can't even imagine. (laughs) It's it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And now what I really thought was I was going to be a liability issue because if they do something stupid, I can catch them quick enough. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. um, When given the opportunity to exit teaching preschool, I took it. Yeah. So did you have any of those problems where they did something stupid and you couldn't catch them? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, um, when I said pick up the drum, they just looked at me like, you're nuts. And then I was not so lucky to teach a class of two and a half year olds, which that was my last year in teaching preschool. I taught the youngest class my um, school ever had, which was a bunch of two and a half year olds. I do not envy you. 
<laughs> I, I, mean, I wasn't I wasn't getting paid highly enough to be teaching two and a half skills. Um and because of class one, your um teachers don't get paid enough. Uh, no, I agree. Teachers need to be paid way more than they get paid yeah, right now. Than they get paid right now. I mean, I've only had two the same age at the same time because I have twins. My youngest are twins. I've told their teachers, like, I give you full props because I couldn't imagine having 30 of them. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, just yeah. a lot. Yeah. So after you stopped teaching preschool, what grade did you end up teaching? I am now, um, and I hope this will continue, we'll, we'll see, we'll take it year to year, they take it year to year at my school because um, it's a private school and they give me a contract year after year after year. I must be doing something right. Yeah. But I'm hoping that um, up until my retirement, which will be the day I hit the New York Times bestseller with my books, um, I'm hoping that I continue to teach third grade music. Third grade music? Yes, which I'm teaching now. So you're musical as well? I would say that. I would say that. Do you play any instruments? No. No? <laughs> I sing, but um, I, I sing, but okay. I'm the age, so I... I don't have to necessarily be musical. Okay. Well, I mean, you're still kind of musical helping kids with music. You got to yeah. know something. Yeah. 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 No, but I, I can sing, but other than that, no. I cannot sing. So you have that on me. I sound like a dying cat. So, yeah. <laughs> literally, my husband's told me that. He's like, you just can't. I, I, I sing anyways. I just don't care. I, I'll sing in the car. I'll sing in, in the house. I just don't sound very good doing it. Yep. So what kind of music do you like? I've been exposed to it all. I've been exposed to Juan um, Vivon. I've been exposed to Enya. I've been exposed to, I like more contemporary and classical music than I like rock music, but that's, um, that's just the way I am. And they have actually done studies on people with disabilities, how music changes their tone, um, their tone physically and music changes their brain chemistry. In a good way, right? In a good way. That is awesome. I've heard that about classical music. Is that for all music? I believe so. Wow. They actually say that when you're pregnant, you should play music to, to the, your womb uh, so the yeah. baby can hear it and actually supposed to help with brain development. Yeah. That's just amazing. It's, it's things that we hear all the time, you know, like these new things that come out. Where we're like, really? I had no idea that actually helps me that I listen to music. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So what is your what is your big dream? You you mentioned that you want to hit the New York Times bestseller book. What do you do or list, not book, um, to have a New York Times bestseller. What are you doing right now to help yourself achieve that? Getting my journalism way so my books could be stronger and then if a big um fashion magazine hires me for the diversity factor, 
I would be happy, but that's the only full-time job I will take. Then it won't seem like work. Then I will work part-time. Yeah, that sounds like something that you'd actually enjoy. It wouldn't be work yeah. for you. No, it wouldn't be work. Why did I can write in my sleep? So do you have any magazines that are like on your dream list? If they hired you, you'd be um, like ecstatic? If they hired, I would say, um, I would say Vogue, but Vogue is actually going to a change right now. They, um, see, this is where I'm learning my fashion journalism class. Vogue actually quit um, publishing Teen Vogue and went, Strictly digital a couple of weeks ago. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, the Teen Vogue we remember in the 90s mm-hmm. isn't in existence because everyone's um, trying to produce digital content. Yes, but there's something about holding an actual magazine or book in your hand that just can't be beat. That's just me. Yes, yes. I know, I know, a thousand times over, people say to me, including my dad, they go, when, why are you sticking your books on Kindle? How about a book book, please? And <laughs> I say, yeah, I have to deal with my fan base who isn't necessarily techno- technologically savvy. Yeah, or both. You could do both for the people who are technologically I do. savvy. I do, bo- I do do both. And then um, also my books on audio tape, if anyone is interested in that. That's even better. My husband will only listen to audio books. He doesn't actually read like physical books or even the Kindle, but he will like go through a million audio books. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good that you have that diversity because you can hit all different kinds of people. But I'm one of those ones. I need a physical book. I like the smell of them. I like flipping through the papers. I like to highlight. I like to do all of the things. Yeah. So which one are you? What, what kind of books do you like to consume? When I, um, when I have time to consume a book, um, I like audio. You like audio? Myself. Because um, my um, holding a book for me is too difficult. Yeah. So I can hold an iPhone and read on my Kindle. But when I have time, give me a good audiobook. And they're easy to consume, kind of like podcasts, because you can do it when yes. you're riding in the yes. car or. Yes, yes, exactly. Anytime, really. It, it's just, it's, it's amazing what technology allows us to do. So what are your favorite kinds of books to read? Oh, give me a good, um, give me a good Secret Life of Bees-esque book, and then you make me happy. Give me a good Harry Potter-esque book, you make me happy. So I love Harry Potter. I'm a total Harry Potter nerd. I love Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I, um, I, it's so funny because I interviewed someone on my podcast who actually works at a live Harry Potter school. What? And her, her name is Amateur Ray, and she does tall readings, and I said, oh boy, this ought to be the Harry Potter episode, because I, I didn't know that, 
existed. I didn't either. I want to go now. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So what, Harry, uh, what school would you be? Like, uh, would you be uh, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, Slytherin? Oh, oh, it's been um, so long now. I would probably, because one of my favorite characters is Hermione, because Hermione's one of those people like me. She bangs to a different drum, and she yes. doesn't play up with BS from the boys. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so you'd be Gryffindor. Yep. yep. I would be a Hufflepuff, because Luna Lovegood was my favorite. I'm totally, like, yep. right there yep. with the, no. the Hufflepuff people. <laughs> yep, yep. So, um, yeah. That's that's awesome. I actually wrote a paper on when I was in school, wrote a paper on Harry Potter and my teacher was like, you are not, you're gonna fail this. She's like, how could you write this on Harry Potter? You're way above this. I got a 99 on that paper. Oh my God. I was oh like, ha ha. She just couldn't give me that one point. She just had to find something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a teacher like that now too. She's, um, she doesn't quite understand that I'm a writer slash have a disability. And so she's fighting me every two seconds. But you gotta have that one professor that makes you stronger. Yes, absolutely. I've had a couple of them in my lifetime where I'm like, really? Really? Why do you have to do this to me right now? <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, really? Why do you have to do this to me on the second degree? Yes, exactly. Like, I've already finished a degree, and I've read all these books. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I know what I'm doing, but nope. Nope, they gotta make you stronger, and they gotta challenge you. Yes, but exactly. It is gonna make you stronger. It is gonna challenge you, and it's gonna help you accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. And if anything, it's gonna give you more fuel for your fire. Yeah, exactly. So we are getting ready to wrap up the podcast. If there's something that you could leave my audience with about what it's like to live with cerebral palsy or cerebral palsy, what would that be? Oh, that would be if you have a dream, live it and accomplish it. And I write my books using Siri and we both now, the Mac and PC, have Dragon Naturally Speaking. So yes, you can dictate book that how I write my books. So yes, anyone can dictate a book. It doesn't have to be perfect. Everyone should do um, National Novel Writing Month because it's a perfect excuse to write a book and it doesn't have to be perfect. I am dictating my book. That's amazing. Yeah, so now there's no excuse. Anybody can write a book if you can dictate there's a book. There's no excuse. Dictate. Dictate. The book, it doesn't have to be perfect. You can send it to an editor and you can send it to a ghostwriter. They make it perfect for you. Yes, an editor especially is super important for a book. Yes, yes. Um, what I've been told, and I believe this, if you have the cash, spend it on an editor. Don't spend it on the cover designer. Spend it on the editor. Yes, you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> Spend it on the editor, thank you very much, because no one's going to buy a, they will buy a pretty book, and then if they can't read it, it's hopeless. 
Yeah, and then they're going to return it for their money back. Yeah, yeah, which you can't do on Amazon. So that's the other thing I was going to say. Go with Ingram Sparks because then you have the capability to return it. Amazon, you can't. You can't return books on Amazon? No. If you self-publish via CreateSpace, they won't allow you to return. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I get it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, no. They won't allow you to return a self-published book, and that's why you don't see Amazon create space self-published books and bookstores. That makes total sense. I actually background story i co-authored a book this year and the person that was in charge of it did not get it professionally edited and it was oh it was awful it was awful don't do that i know i was so upset because i was like all it would take is a professional editor to make this book a decent book no i um back back story here i was involved in uh um and a couple of anthologies way to begin with, and they um, saw these books at me. I did uh, stories in these books, and they um, didn't get professionally edited, and it uh, it was just a disastrous mess. I'm now no longer working with that anthologist, but um, it's a disastrous mess when you don't have it professionally edited. I was horrified and I spoke out about it and I said, listen, this, I don't stand by this book. Like even though my story's in it, because it was not, it's not professional. And to me, a book needs to be professionally edited. Yes. Yes, exactly. I agree. And then this person tried to edit my books and that was a complete disaster. So I said, we're done. We're done. You think you're a professional editor. We're done. You, um, you think that you can get away with this? I don't think so. Nope. Bye-bye. <laughs> because a thousand people are going to see it. Mm-hmm. If not more. And um, this person spelled my name wrong on the cover. Oh, my gosh. I, she gave it to me, and I'm like, we're done. We're done. Way to go we're for done. standing up for yourself. Done. Thank you. We're done. I finally, it took me several years of trying to convince her that she shouldn't um, publish books. But I'm like, we're done. And we're done as a business relationship, too, because you're not good for me and I'm not good for you. I mean, having a professional editor is a key. Yes, I agree. Well, Wynn, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing well, your story welcome. with you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I will share it out. And people can find me on Twitter at Wynn Kelly Charles. And people can actually follow me and ask me questions about self publishing books. I do charge a fee, but that's 500 bucks. But if they want to contact me and get a one-time consultation, I'm happy to do that as well. How would what would be the best way for people to contact you if they people wanted to contact? Would, um, people would contact me via Twitter at Win Kelly Charles W I N K K E L L Y Charles C H A R L A S, and they can also 
text me at 970-618-8840. That is my cell phone number. And they can also email me at aspenwin at gmail.com. And that the text is probably the best way to get a hold of me. And and you don't mind your phone number being out there for the no, whole world to hear? No, I give it I give it to my fan I give it to my fan base and as long as they're respectful with it and um, state what they need in a text message, I don't. Um, a lot of my fan base has my phone number. Okay, well, repeat your number one more time for everybody to get it. Nine nine seven zero. Six one eight eighty eight forty, and I'm in Mountain Standard Time. And if they want to text me, go ahead. That's awesome. Well, Win, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Inspire Women Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family, and join us in the Inspire Women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.